Welcome, and thanks for listening to the New Life Christian Ministries podcast. If you'd like more information about New Life or for more podcasts and other media, go to newlifexn.org. When I was a little kid in Gypsy, Pennsylvania, there were everybody in town wanted a motorcycle. When I say everybody in town, I mean all 10 of us who were uh, that age. And uh, the Terrell brothers were the first ones to get their motorcycle. They were 11, 12, and 16 at the time, and their dad bought them a used Honda 90 trail bike, and it looked like a girl's bicycle with an engine, but we were still envious because nobody else had one. Then after Bible school, I think it was July the 13th, 1969, on Friday night, we came outside. When I say we, I mean my brother Ken and I came outside, and there my dad had a brand new Honda Mini Trail. Now, if you know what a Honda Mini Trail is, it's like this tall. 50 cc's, but it looked exactly like a motorcycle. We were excited. Now, I was the older one, so I got to ride it first, but my dad said, I couldn't go for a ride till I put on my helmet. I didn't understand why you needed a helmet for such a small bike, you know, and the other thing is, in those days, nobody wore a helmet for bicycle riding, and I mean, half the cars didn't even have seat belts. It was just not an era of safety. Anyway, we loved riding our bike, but we didn't love riding it with having to wear a helmet. So one day, that all changed. Because there was a couple in town in Gypsy named Randy and Donna, and they were old. I mean, they were like mid-30s. And uh, they used to ride their motorcycle together. We thought it was sort of cute, but a little weird that people that old were, you know, riding a motorcycle together. And uh, they had a big Honda, and they would go everywhere on the weekends. They would always ride together. And one weekend, they were riding down in a place called Curwinsville, and um, they went through an intersection, and a station wagon either didn't stop or just didn't see them. Anyway, hit the back of their motorcycle, threw them off their motorcycle, and they went sledding down the road. And uh, so... Pick, as Randy was telling us this, I remembered something about Randy. Randy was a tough guy, okay? He's only this tall, which is probably why he was a tough guy. But he always wore cowboy boots, denim pants, denim shirt, denim jacket, you know, black chaps with the leather chaps, you know. He wore leather gloves, and he wore a helmet with a bubble shield. Uh, and, and so as he was telling this account, he had his chaps, which were worn the whole way through. He had his leather gloves, which the, the fingers and palms were worn off. And then he had his bubble shield, and I'll never forget this. The middle of the bubble shield had a hole in it about this big. It had ground down as he, you know, they slid down the road on an asphalt road with Randy on the bottom like he was sliding into second base and Donna on top. Now, Donna hardly didn't get hurt. And Randy just had a couple of abrasions. But as, as, as he showed me that bubble shield, I was thinking, wow. That, that could have been his face. And from that time on, my dad never had to tell us to put our helmet on whenever we rode our, our little mini bike. In fact, we even made him buy us a bubble shield. <laughs> so what's the point of that? Well, the point is we're uh, drawing to the end of a series called The Armor of God. And you probably could guess without, you know, even having to think about it after that story what we're talking about today. We're talking about the helmet of salvation. And uh, so far, what we've established in our first four weeks in this series is we have an enemy. We can't see him, but he's quite real. His name is the devil. And he has some demons who we can identify by name, some generals, I guess you would call them. Arcus, which means the first one. Exousius, which means the right to speak. Cosmocraterus, which means world ruler who wants us to use uh, our, uh, our yeah, I guess to use people to get stuff. And then Ponerios, who is the spirit of malice or the spirit of murder. And, and then we started adding armor because we're supposed to put on the full armor of God as we heard read, you know, very eloquently during our worship singing time. And the first piece that we talked about was the belt of truth. And then we put on the belt of truth. And then we put on the breastplate of righteousness. And we put on the... Uh, oh, oh, 
oh, there it is, the shoes of the gospel of peace. And then last week we talked about the shield of faith. And then today we're going to talk about this helmet of salvation. Now, if you think about it in our day, there are lots of reasons why people wear helmets or hard hats. Construction workers, workers wear hard hats, you know, fire and rescue people wear hard hats, motorcycle riders, uh, football players. Even nowadays, sometimes soccer players and, you know, lacrosse players wear helmets. But as I'm saying that list, you're thinking, well, you don't have to ride a, you don't have to wear a helmet to ride a motorcycle. Not in Pennsylvania, you don't, right? That's true, you don't have to. Um, we have the freedom not to, but in Paul's day, he really wouldn't have had to tell, tell a Roman soldier to put on his helmet. And, and here's why. It's sort of gruesome, but in, in Paul's day, when the soldiers of opposing armies went into battle, there were always some horsemen, and the horsemen would ride into the foot soldiers, and they would have these big broadswords, you know, double-edged broadswords, and their goal was like, if Ken was my enemy, like, I would go whoosh and try to cut off his head. It has a pretty, I'm sure it has a pretty... Uh, a big effect around the people that are, you know, watch their head roll off. Okay, so you, if, if short of that, they would try to gas your head, you know, that would cause a fatal wound with that kind of a weapon. So nobody had to say, hey, we should probably put our helmets on before we go to battle. Right? Because if you have that possibility before you, you want to wear your helmet. So that's what we're going to talk about today is the helmet of salvation. And, and the take-home point, and for those of you who are here for the first time, we seek to make one point every week. Here it is. We must guard our hearts and minds above all else. We must guard our hearts and minds above all else. And as I said that, you might be thinking, wait a minute, it's a helmet. How's it going to guard my heart? Well, this is a metaphor, right? These aren't real pieces of armor. It's not like the, the armor of God is made out of steel or Kevlar. It's spiritual armor. And the belt of truth isn't like a real belt, even though we pictured a real belt. It's the, it's the truth that comes from God's word. And, and the breastplate of righteousness is this right relationship we have with God. And it's also doing what's right. And then we have, you know, the shoes of the gospel of peace means that we have the ability to share the gospel, the good news of Jesus with people, which brings peace to the world. And, and then as we talked about last week, the shield of faith, because the devil is always shooting his arrows, and, and his arrows are doubt and fear and, and anger and all these different things, all kinds of sin and stuff at us. But the shield of faith, and it's faith, it's not, real, it's not a real shield. It is, though. You see what I'm saying? It's a metaphor. So today, when we talk about putting on a helmet of salvation, that helmet can protect our heads as well as our hearts, our minds and our hearts. Because, you know, if you get shot in the arm, you can survive. If you lose a kidney, you can survive, but if your head gets chopped off, you're dead. And the same way if your heart, you know, if, if an arrow pierces your heart, you're dead. And, and so Paul is telling us that we need to put on the last piece of equipment is the helmet of salvation. And, and I skipped over one slide that's very important. I want to emphasize how real our enemy is, the devil. When Jesus was walking on the earth, he told us about our enemy, the devil, and he said this in John chapter 10, verse 10. The thief, that is the devil, comes but to kill, to steal, and to destroy. And then Jesus said, but I've come that you may have life in all of its abundance. And so the enemy, the devil, he wants to kill us. Physically, he wants to kill us. Spiritually, he wants to kill us. His goal is that all of us will end up in hell where he knows he is ultimately going to be forever. And he wants us to be with him. And so he wants to steal from us. He wants to steal joy and peace and love and all those kind of things that are the fruit of the Holy Spirit from us. And then he wants to destroy whatever he can. He wants to destroy relationships. He wants to destroy families, churches, individuals. He just wants to destroy things. 
Because he is our enemy and he hates God. And because he hates God, he hates us. And he can't hurt God, but he can hurt us if we don't have on the armor. So today we're going to look at three scriptures. We're going to look at one verse from the Ephesians passage that we've been looking at these five weeks now. Ephesians six seventeen, And then we're going to look at an Old, uh, Old Testament passage called uh, Proverbs 4.23. And then we're going to look at Romans chapter 12, verse 2. They all have to do with protecting ourselves by um, using the armor God gives us and what we have to protect, our minds and our hearts. So let's look at Ephesians 6.17. It says this. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of spirit, the spirit, which is the word of God. Next week, we're going to conclude this series with the only offensive weapon we have. And I really can't wait to pull that sword out. It's an actual double-edged sword. And I'm going to, maybe I might cut something up. I don't know. But, but this is, it's a metaphor, right? It's a metaphor. This is really the sword of the spirit, the word of God. Then the next thing uh, that, that we're really talking about is uh, our hearts and minds. So let's go to our heart, which is found in Proverbs chapter 4.23. Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. And then the last scripture talks about the mind, and it's from Romans chapter 12, verse 2, where the Apostle Paul also wrote this passage. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you have provided us with safety from our enemy, the devil. You have given us armor. And God, we know that these, these realities that you speak to from your word are intended to give us life, intended us to, to, to make us prosper in our lives in a, in a way that we become more and more and more like Jesus. And so today, as we look at this helmet of salvation, we pray, God, that you would show us the one thing that we need to go out of here with today to be better equipped to love you, to serve you, and to defend ourselves against the enemy's attacks. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as Paul wrote, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Now, um, the thing about that, as we look at that passage of Scripture, is Paul made a very matter-of-fact thing. Take the, the, the helmet of salvation. He said that we have to put on the belt of truth. He said you have to hold up the shield of faith, but he just says, take the helmet. It's not like there's an additional command because nobody needed to be told twice. It wasn't like, take the helmet in your backpack. It was take the helmet and put it on your head. Because if you go to battle without your helmet, the most important part of your body is exposed. And you, you can't do that. You have to be ready because the, the enemy could attack at any time. And so Paul doesn't make a big deal. He just simply says, put on the helmet. And then it says uh, in Proverbs, when we read from Proverbs, and remember, who wrote Proverbs? King Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived before Jesus came to the earth, said this, above all else... Guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. And the thing I've learned in 57 plus years of living is there are people whose advice is better than other people's. Everybody has advice, right? But some people's advice is better than other people's advice. And the advice you want is advice of wisdom, which means you have knowledge and experience. And sometimes experience can be bad. Like, for instance, the moment that I heard Randy tell me about what happened on his motorcycle and I saw that hole and I thought to myself, man, his face could have been hamburger. I gained some wisdom and I didn't want to ride my motorcycle without my helmet anymore. 
You see, in our lives, we can get wisdom from watching people in the world or from the Word of God. And this is wisdom from the Word of God. And as we look at that wisdom, it says that there's nothing more important in our lives than our hearts. Nothing. And, and the, the reason for that is Jesus would later say, you know, a thousand years after Solomon, Jesus came along. And whenever Jesus was talking about our lives, he always focused on our hearts. And he says it's out of our heart and, and what's in it that we speak. So when we start talking, people can tell what's really inside of us, whether it's the life of Jesus, the love of Jesus, or whether it's the, the stuff of the enemy. People can tell just by what, what comes out of us, what's inside of us. And so we're told by King Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived except for Jesus, that we need to, that we need to guard and protect. And that helmet of salvation is a, a big help in that regard. Let, let's think about salvation for a minute. Salvation is an interesting thing. First of all, salvation simply means to be saved from something or for something. In this case, Paul was talking about being saved from sin and death. And the way we are saved from sin and death, according to God's word, is that there was a, a time in, in the history of the world when we all were in sin. And, and that time is now, too. I mean, we're born as sinners. We grow up as sinners. That means we don't do the things we ought to do. We're actually on the side of the enemy. In fact, in Colossians, which we're going to study that whole book this summer, it says we were once enemies of God. We were on the wrong side. But then Jesus came along, and the problem is we were on the wrong side, and the only thing that could put us on the right side was to um, pay the penalty for sin, which is death. And, of course, we couldn't do that. And so Jesus came, the Son of the living God came in human form, and he lived a perfect life. He, he, he taught with an incredible authority like nobody else ever. He healed sick people. He cast demons out. He even raised dead people. And then he did the most incredible, amazing thing. He died for us. His perfect life in exchange for our life. And, and that's what salvation is. It's when Jesus died and then rose again for us so that we could be, uh, the, the, the death penalty could be canceled and we get a new life. Jesus called it being born again. And, and Paul called it being a new creation. There's a lots, of, lots of ways it's referred to. But, but here's the thing about salvation. It's crucial to know. In the Bible, there are two kinds of aspects of salvation. The first is the instant that we're saved. It's called justification. When I was in second grade Sunday school, Bernadine Lockard told me that to be justified is just as if I never sinned. It's just as if I never sinned. And I rem I'll never forget that. I've never forgotten it. You, because I, I was a sinner. I am a sinner apart from the grace of God in my life. And, and suddenly I, I realized that Jesus didn't just die for the whole world. He died for me. And when Jesus died for me, when I trusted him, when I received him, when I welcomed him, when I committed my life to him, in that instant, I was justified. And, and that's really cool because once we're justified, we're on the right side. We're on the side of God and we're not going to go to hell anymore. But that's not the end. That's really just the beginning. A lot of people in America and other places, but especially in America, think all you got to do is get somebody saved, and that's it. But, but that's the beginning. And what Paul talks about very much in his ministry is this other thing called sanctification. Sanctification, it sounds like a big, you know, fancy word, but all it really means is to be set apart for God. To be holy means to be set apart for God. So sanctification is this process of growing up to be more and more like Jesus. And that process requires just a few things, really. It requires intentionality. 
It requires us to read God's word and learn God's word. It requires us to pray. It requires us to surround ourselves with other believers who are in various processes of growing up so we can learn from them and we can be encouraged and supported by them. But sanctification is crucial. And in fact, sometimes I've known people who have been saved, justified, and 10 years later, they're just still saved and justified, but they haven't grown up at all. They're still like babies. And that's why people look at the people in the church sometimes, and, and they, people on the outside I'm talking about, and they go, that person's supposed to be a Christian. She's no different than I am. And, and, and what they really mean is I don't see a behavioral difference. I don't see any kind of difference in the way they talk or live. And, and, and the truth of the matter is you can be justified in going to heaven and not have any evidence that people can see yet that you're following Jesus. But when you're in this process of sanctification, there's a change that takes place. A lot of changes take place. In fact, that's why we read Romans 12.2 today. Because in Romans 12.2, Paul brings not just the heart, but the mind into the equation. You know, one of the things that I, when I was growing up in the church, please, please don't take this the wrong way, but when I was growing up in the church, I thought if you really wanted to be a Christian, you had to check your brain at the door. That you couldn't really use your brain and be a Christian. You just sort of had to trust Jesus and love him. And that was all there was. And, and, and then, uh, thankfully, I, you know, I listened maybe a little better to the sermons. I read my own Bible. And, and I found out that's not it at all. In fact, what Paul says in Romans 12, 2, is that we can, not only can think, not only we can learn and grow, we must. He says this, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and prove what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. You see, the word conform there that we just read, in the original Greek, it's, it's really molded. Don't be molded. Like jello, you know, when you put jello in a package, take it out of the package, put it in a, a pan, and put water in it, heat it up, and then you pour it in a mold. And then you put the mold in the refrigerator, and a couple hours later, it, it looks like that mold. You take that out, and it's exact shape. Whatever the mold shape is, a little car, a little whatever. You know, motorcycle, I guess it could be. But anyway, it looks like the mold. And the thing is, Paul says, don't be molded like jello to the world. Because the world wants us to be molded like it. And the devil especially wants us to be molded to his ways and not to be molded to the ways of God. And, and how do we keep from getting molded to the world's ways? Very simple. Not easy, but very simple. We get transformed by the renewing of our minds. I love that statement. It's one of my favorite statements in the whole entire Bible because whenever I found that out, I realized that I could think and be a Christian. I could actually learn and grow and study, and that was important, and it made a difference in, in my life, and it makes a difference in all of our lives. Now, some of you are sitting there going, well, you know, I just want to love Jesus with all my heart. Well, good. And some of you are sitting there going, yeah, Chris, I didn't know that either. I'm so glad you told me because I just want to use my mind. <laughs> You're right, too. You see, the thing is, it's not either or, it's both and. In fact, in the days of Jesus, whenever they talked about the heart, they were actually talking about the center of understanding. The heart and mind were seen to be connected. And actually, in our day, you know, doctors and psychologists, they're finding out the heart and mind are actually connected in ways that they never could have imagined. We could talk about that another day, but, but it's really interesting. But the point is, it isn't one or the other, heart or mind. It's heart and mind. And, and so right now... I need to say something hard to everybody. Now remember, I just got back from Cuba two weeks ago. 
And I want everybody to be as passionate about Jesus as we can possibly be. I love all of you. I want you to know that right up front. And I know that you have my back and I have your back. We talked about that last week. But I still have to say something hard this morning. And here it is. And it's up on the screen because I want everybody to see it. Growing up as Jesus followers was never intended to be optional. And it was always intended to include both our hearts and our minds. And you read that and go, well, that's not hard, Chris. Yeah, it is. Because some of you I've known for a really long time and... And uh, frankly, I haven't seen a lot of growth in the mind part or the heart part. You know, some of you I've only known a short period of time. And and, and that growth process that's supposed to be going on in our heart and in our mind, you know, and and some of you are saying, well, Chris, you know what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1? Yes, I do. Knowledge puffs up, makes proud, love builds up. So it's all about the heart. That's true. It is all about the heart. And when our knowledge puffs us up, that's wrong. But it doesn't say be ignorant. You know, an ignorant Christian is not a good witness. And when I say ignorant, that means you don't know anything about the ways of Jesus, about the truth of Jesus. That's the hard part, you know. I don't want us to be ignorant Christians. Because the truth of the matter is, you're going to go out, out of here today and there are going to be questions come up and there are going to be things that you're going to face in your life. And, and you can call the pastors and we'll answer as best as we can. And you can ask your parents, and they will answer you as best as you can, as they can. But the truth of the matter is, all of us are soldiers in a battle that has eternal consequences. And, and, and the devil, he doesn't take prisoners. You know what I'm saying? So we need to know, and we need to feel, and we need to, you know, we need to love God with all of our heart. Huh. Interesting, because Jesus said the most important commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. Everything. It's sort of like Jesus said, don't be normal. Right? Because that's normal. Normal is, well, I'm going to love them with my heart or my mind. Because, you know, I have people that come up to me all the time and they say, you know, Pastor Chris, if I just could have one more Bible study, then I can go out and tell somebody about Jesus. If I just had one more Bible study, I could teach a a little four-year-old Sunday school class. If I just had one more Bible study, then I would be able to, and you fill in the blank with what you'd be able to do. And the truth of the matter is, some of us don't need one more Bible study. We just need to apply a couple verses that we already know in love and go out there and do it. Amen. Some one of you agree with me. That's good. <laughs> I'm smiling. I'm happy. I really am. Okay? But I'm serious. I really am. Because as we go about our daily lives, we're fighting a real enemy who will send us to hell forever or we will beat him. He's already defeated because Jesus died on the cross for us. He's already defeated. The battle's already won. I love that song that we sang. You know, the victory's ours. The battle's won. It's over. It is, but the devil's still kicking around out there, and he's very serious about taking us down because that's the only way he has to get back at God. So in our daily lives, we need to love Jesus with all of our hearts, our God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, with all of our hearts, with all of our souls, with all of our minds, with all of our strengths. And it's a thing that, you know, justification, boom, I get saved in an instant, sanctification, lifelong process. And and right now, when I go outside, I'm not afraid of any question anybody could ask. I know the answer to some of them. I don't know. But I do know the answer to a lot of the questions. You need to know the answer to this more and more questions. And and here's the thing. A baby has a right to be a baby. Uh, A little earlier in the service, I heard a little baby going, "Uh, that's cool. That's what babies do. But if that baby gets to be 15 years old and is still doing that, won't we think something's wrong? 
You see, that's the point. The point is, when we're babies, we get to be babies. But when we start to grow up, we don't get to be babies anymore. And as followers of Jesus Christ, Paul is saying, we've got to put on all the armor of God. We've got to put on the belt of truth. Well, the truth is in the Bible, so we gotta, if we're going to put that on, then we have to learn the truth. We have to put on the breastplate of righteousness, that right relationships that comes from knowing Jesus as well as knowing what's right. Again, how are you going to know what's right if you don't read this book? And the next thing is the shoes of the gospel of peace, the good news of Jesus. And you don't have to have a seminary degree to know the good news. The good news is there's a God who has a son whose name is Jesus, who died on the cross and rose from the dead to give you a new life and me a new life. That's simple. I, could, I mean, I knew that when I was five years old. I know a little more what it means by now. Thank God for that. But, I mean, you don't have to be very old. In fact, there's a little five-year-old last night after service said, Pastor Chris, I want to get baptized. Five years old. And I said, okay, why do you want to get baptized? And she said, because Jesus Christ died on the cross for me to take away my sins. And I want to be baptized to show that he took away my sins and I want to live for him. Huh. Pretty good answer for a five-year-old. And you say, well, a five-year-old can't really understand. Not like a 57-year-old, but as a five-year-old, she understands. So she's getting baptized this coming Saturday. That's the thing. The thing is, this truth that we live is so simple that a five-year-old can get it and so complicated that I don't get it. There are some things I'll never know until I get in front of Jesus. Some things you'll never know. But the things that we need to know, we can already know. And so we put on all of the armor. I just stopped at the gospel of peace there for a second. I got a little sidetracked. But then we put on the shield of faith, which is a joint thing, right? We just don't put it on for ourselves. We protect everybody else, too, around us, especially the ones that don't have the ability to hold up their shield yet. And then today, the helmet of salvation. And when we have all of that armor on, we're ready to stand against the devil. And then we talk about next week, the, shield, or the, the sword of the spirit. Then we're ready to attack the devil. We, the least we should be doing is standing against him. But that's the least we should be doing. So we'll talk about more next week. Now, for those of you in the room who have never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, here's the thing you need to understand. You don't have any armor. If Jesus Christ is not your Savior and Lord, the attacks of the devil, you don't have anything to stand against those attacks. Because you don't have the belt of truth. You can't have the belt of truth unless Jesus is your Lord. When Paul wrote the letter to the Ephesian Christians, they were all Christians. And he told them to put on the armor because they already had been justified. They were in the process of being sanctified. And so if you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, you can do everything you can do. And you might look pretty strong and it might look pretty good. But at the end of the day, you're on the wrong side. And I say that in in passionate love for you because I want you to know Jesus Christ and I want you to be on the side of God and I want you to be saved and I want you to know him. And so here's all you have to do is change sides. You just need to say, Jesus, I want to be on your side. Jesus, I want you to take over and be my Lord, which means my owner, my master. I want you to come in. I want your spirit inside of me so I can start to have this armor. And as a baby Christian, you won't be a grown-up Christian. And that's why we have this commitment today. And I want you to look at the commitment. It says, I will protect my heart and mind by wearing the helmet of salvation this week. That sounds pretty personal, doesn't it? I will protect my heart and mind by wearing the helmet of salvation. It just sounds like it's for me. And if you read it, I, Tom, Tom has the, just for him. But that's not what we're talking about because we talked last week. When we're talking about the shield, 
of faith, what we say? The Roman soldiers would line up in a circle. They called it a tortoise, and they would protect each other because they would protect each other's backs. And okay, somebody corrected me. We don't need to have butt guards because God is our rear guard. Okay, if you were here, you know, God is our rear guard. He is. He's standing behind me. But I'm just thankful that besides him standing behind me, there are some of you standing behind me too. You know, I mean, God's enough. But I, I, I like sort of being able to look around and go, oh, there's Jim. Oh, there's, you know, there's another Jim. Oh, there's another Jim. Holy smokes, we got a lot of Jims. You know, and they're protecting my back. And there's other people with other names protecting our backs right now. But the thing is, when it says, I will protect myself, I need to look around. This is the key, folks. If we're mature, we need to look around and see where are the babies, and we need to protect them. You know how it is whenever you um, are in an airplane? What does it say? If there's a cabin pressure thing, you know, you protect yourself first, right? You put on your mask. Then you help the other person. But you help the other person. That's the way it is in the family of God. And the other night, on Friday night, the speaker's name was Joel Repick. He's from Aliquippa. And he's a pastor there, and he and his wife moved on a street corner where there's drug dealers doing drug sales right there on his, on, in front of his house. And when he walks down his neighborhood, there are homeless people, you know, out at, and, and there's just people doing drugs and stuff like that. And that's everywhere. But, I mean, this is pretty obvious. And he said when he first moved in there, this big, big guy came up to his porch, and he invited him in. And this kid says, you should be afraid of me. And he says, I'm not afraid of you. Why should I be afraid of you? I could kill you. Yeah, probably, you know. But Joel started to tell him about the love of Jesus. And the guy flipped out. He hates the love of Jesus. He doesn't have anything to do with the love of Jesus. And so Joel just kept ministering to this guy over a period of time. And the guy got arrested and went to jail. Joel was the only one who visited him. And eventually, the, the young man trusted Jesus. And Joel and I were talking about that. And, and, you know, and what Joel and I said is, you know what the shame is? That that's unusual. That's unusual in the American church that somebody would care about that guy standing on his front porch. In the American church, the usual thing is we're concerned about only the ones who are already inside, but not the ones who are outside. And here at New Life, I said, you know, Joel, we're not normal. And he said, that's right, and I don't ever want to be. And that's sort of where this all came from, this, you know, don't be normal. I don't want to be a normal church, ever. I don't want to be a church where we have to dress a certain way or we have to talk a certain way about a certain thing or, or we really only care about protecting me. I want to be always looking around and there's somebody there that could kill me. I want to help that person because they don't want to kill me. The, 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 the devil's working in their life. It's a spiritual battle. And, and the thing is, you say, Chris, you, you, you know, you serious? You, you don't mind if you get killed? No, I don't mind if I get killed because I'm going to heaven when I die. I would rather be killed helping somebody come to know Jesus than to sit in my rocking chair someday and do nothing. You see, hard thing, but it's really easy, isn't it? If Jesus is in charge of our lives, we're protected. If Jesus is not in charge of our lives, he's not. We need to look around and say, who do, who do we know? Who do we know that if they died today, the enemy wins? And we need to say, I don't need another class I don't need another this or that. What I need is I need the love of Jesus, and I need a little bit of truth, and a little bit more truth, and a little bit more truth, and, and I just feed that in. And that combination, truth and love, changes the world. It always has. It always will. There's nothing, nothing on this planet that can defeat the love and truth of Jesus Christ because we've already won. Friday night, one of the coolest things that happened. 
after Joel spoke, he gave a wonderful talk, and then he invited people to come forward. And, and so Mark, you know, Lutz, our, our youth director, he said, you know, I have the people ready to come and pray with you. And they came up, and you know, he said, if there's anybody else, you know, in the room wants to come up and pray with the people. So I came up, and I was standing right over there. And this young woman came up for prayer. And, uh, and I, at first, I, I said, well, what do you want me to pray for? And she said, life. And I looked down, and I was, I've known this girl since before she was born. And here's the thing. You know how many people get to do that? Only people that will stick around in an area for a certain period of time. You know, I mean, this girl's 18 years old. And here, here maybe 17. And, and I've known her since before she was born. And I got to pray for her. And I got to, you know, speak the life of Jesus into her life. And, and, and later on, Mark had a chance to talk with her. And she trusted Jesus for the very first time, even though she's 17 years old. And, and that's what it's all about. Because now she's a baby, and now we protect her and help her grow up. And then there'll be some more. There'll be others. There'll be more and more and more. And as we live in this community, and as, as this community knows, we're here to reach everybody. Not a certain buddy. Not a certain kind of buddy. Everybody. And that we're here to give food to people that we don't even know. What's going to happen is, you know, Joel said they prayed for people nobody else wanted. And now they have a whole bunch of them. And it's a little challenging to have all the people nobody else wanted. But he said, I wouldn't have it any other way. That's what we should be praying, right? Let's pray for the people that nobody else wants. And if we do, well, I've already been praying for that <laughs> for 14 years, not, not just a new thing. If we do that, we need the armor for them to see, to help protect them, and to live this life that's truly life in the face of the devil's action which is stealing, killing, destroying, but he can't do that when we're protected by the armor of God. So let's pray right now and let's ask God to just give us the passion of our hearts and the wisdom of our minds together to defeat the enemy who's already defeated, but in every battle that comes our way this week. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for who you are. We thank you so much that you, you have won the victory over the devil and over his minions. We, we thank you today that your spirit is here with us and in us. And I thank you, God, for anyone in this room who, while I was talking about transferring ownership to you, did that. And I pray that even now that somebody else in this room who needs to know you as Savior and Lord would just simply say, Jesus, come in and take over. Be my Lord. Be my master. And God, I pray for all of us in the room today that you would fill us to overflowing with your Holy Spirit, that you would give us a passionate desire to have a heart after your heart and to have the mind, the very mind of God. And that as we put those things together, that we'll look around and we'll see how to use them against the devil and for everyone else who's flesh and blood among us. This I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.